Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Eric. And we have quite the show for you. We were out for a couple of weeks. I know you missed us, America, but we are back on this President's Weekend looking at the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe film, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And we will also be diving into the other films featuring Paul Rudd's Scott Lang as Ant-Man, which is why this episode I have titled The Ant-Man. Eric, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I've watched, I've rewatched the entire Ant-Man story, which is my est uh story running through the mcu so i'm i'm feel pretty you know excited yeah recharged Lindsay likes to my wife likes to lovingly refer to him as crap bag which was uh paul rudd's character from friends so oh right yeah there's a reason it's not because she dislikes him uh but so the we'll dive in with the newest film first this is actually the fifth mcu film uh with scott lang as ant-man we are going to be looking at three of his earlier films we're not looking at avengers endgame because honestly avengers endgame is good and um this film uh ant-man and the wasp all right i think avengers endgame is good it it is good it's just it's funny you say like as opposed to the rest of these other ones (laughs) so ant-man and the wasp quantumania kicks off and um it was noted that this is probably the one that ties the most back to the last saga of Avengers. So really that's kind of where it picks up for Scott Lang. He had a huge role in Avengers Endgame um, after not really fighting with the Avengers much outside of uh, one movie that many people like that Eric and I don't love, which I'm very excited to get to in a little bit. But when we pick up, Scott Lang is something of a mild celebrity living in San Francisco. Nobody's quite sure who he is. Uh, you know some people think he's spider-man um some people just know him as hey that guy but he's actually written a book uh, about his adventures kind of selling that um he's still with hope things seem to be going well uh hank and janet seem to be doing well and he's trying to make up for lost time and bond with his daughter cassie who looks an awful lot like Catherine newton in this film after not looking like Catherine newton three years ago in avengers endgame Pretty soon, they get sucked down into the quantum realm. And if you've seen, a lot of fun things happen there where they also come face-to-face with Kang the Conqueror, a character that in terms of MCU scope, we've seen one other time in the Marvel TV series, Loki. Um, But that ends up being kind of their their big villain here. We'll get the... We'll get the uh, stills. I don't want to forget that I actually downloaded pictures. Here is Paul Rudd as Scott Lang against Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors, in what I thought was probably the best performance of the film. Um, And one of the things I like best about the film, I'm going to be honest, as we'll get to, I haven't always loved the Ant-Man films. I actually kind of liked this one. I know that it is currently the lowest rated Marvel film ever on Rotten Tomatoes among a critic score, which makes zero sense to me. I think people are either getting burned out or had ridiculously high expectations. I thought this was a good time. I do think for me personally, I felt like this film felt very different from other Marvel films, felt a lot like another uh, Disney property, which is Star Wars. 
Um, yep. Because they spend all their time in the quantum realm, it really looked like kind of a, another planet. You have alien-like creatures. You have a lot of laser battles. You have kind of a rebellion rising up against an evil empire. There were a lot of Star Wars things, and I actually dug it. It worked for me. I think people who really loved the first couple of Ant-Man films are the ones that have felt a little bit differently. I know that was the case with my wife, who actually has always loved Ant-Man more than me. She thought this one was okay. I actually liked it more. Uh, I enjoyed the back and forth. I did miss Michael Pena, Judy Greer, some of the ancillary characters that don't make an appearance. But I'm giving it a mild thumbs up. Mm -hmm. Well, I really liked your summary of the story. And it starts with, with what my thoughts on the movie are, which is we open this movie... <clears throat> with a tag that reminds us once more that Janet Van Dyne was in the quantum realm. And we are introduced to Jonathan Major's character very briefly. And then we pull away and then we do a scene that's very similar to a scene that happened in the beginning of Dr. Strange and in Spider-Man far from home where they talk about like goodbye to Endgame and whatnot before very, very, very quickly they end up in the quantum realm where the characters are split up and almost like the Ewok situation return of the Jedi is happening on one end. And on the other end, you have Janet Van Dyne and them having to go find Bill Murray. Uh, during which time, maybe there a were, little bit like the cloud city, a little bit like cloud city uh, with, with that beat in there twice of, but like once reversed where it's like, Hey, old friend, fight, fight, fight. Ah, that proves we're friends. Like, so does that make Evangeline Lilly the Chewbacca of the story? Uh, C-3PO, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like, there, there is a, a, a stream, a constant stream of references to other movies that were the building blocks of this movie up through Kang. I mean, the way that Modoc's character, which I don't think I'll spoil just in case anybody else is, you know, still going into this. Uh, but his there is only Modoc line to an actor who was in the most recent Ghostbusters movie. Um, they quote the fourth Indiana Jones movie with he's like, there were other women, but they weren't you, honey. Like the this script feels like it was built off of building blocks pulled from other stories. And then it leads up to the Death Star is about to take off, but then there's unique elements from the Ant-Man franchise that come in with, you know, an ant storm and so many other things. And a part of that, I think, comes from one of the writers of Rick and Morty being on the staff and a little bit of over-reliance on the technology that they've developed through... I think the Mandalorian and yeah. I, the, the first that movie a hundred percent. They said they did the exact same style that they used for Mandalorian, which you know what that is. It's, it's the LCD screens for 360 degrees so that you have a, a circular environment. But what's starting to become apparent is everything is in this little shell, you know, like they have kind of have fans and wind and things like that, which makes you have to do ADR and all these kind of things. But it's starting to become really obvious that everything is shot in a room and everything feels like a studio, a new age 2020s studio set where there's this fake feeling like everything is being shot in camera, but it feels just like a green screen. There are no green screens, though. Everything is light coming from the LCD screens that are showing 
the actual environments for them to react to. And so for it to feel so fake at times, I think is a little bit of a, uh, a disappointment, but Marvel's been having a trend of some stuff like this happening for a while where people have been disappointed in the visual effects and worried for the VFX artists being pushed. And I think this was still like a, a cut above some of the VFX from say Lord Th Thor love and thunder. But um, yeah, the, the world that's being built is on shaky ground. The script that's being built is on shaky ground. And despite all of that, I really did enjoy this movie. I I think Paul Rudd has the ability to take the material and turn the emotions of a scene on a dime between comedic and serious. And I think uh, Hank Pym's character is written to be a, lo a lot different than his character has been in the past, who's had a little bit more of an ego and a little bit taking himself a little more seriously get off my lawn feel yeah and now he's like oh what can get me drunk and I'm like i'm just imagining the burps of rick from rick and morty and you know they, there's just something still though that actor keeps himself so rooted in a particular mindset that i feel like he holds things together well and that that's the thing ultimately is and marvel has always sort of hung on their ability to get their characters right and this story hangs on the characters being believable in what they're doing and selling the emotions of their relationships and that's ultimately i think what saved the movie for me like by the time in there in the end hope makes the decision to go back and stay with scott despite what's happening um which, you know, hopefully is mysterious enough for people and not too spoilery. Um, you know, I was, I felt for that. I was like, ah, and you know, I, I it just, Jonathan Majors coming in and, and owning that like bizarre position where I thought for a second they were doing something kind of like Dr. Doom in the comics and they, they kind of are. I it just, I think Marvel is at the same time showing their hand that they're in this, imagination space where anything is possible and then what they're giving you it's it's like the actors are having to make the world believable and make everything come together but i do think they were successful and i do give this one a thumbs up yeah for me i thought there was good stakes um i really like jonathan majors i think he's going to be great which is which is a real plus because he's going to be the man that we're coming against for the next three years because Avengers mm -hmm. King Dynasty is not set for release until 2025. But I did think there was an air of this being more fun with all the characters having more fun. I'm glad you called out about Hank because I thought this was, I've seen people really critical of Michael Douglas just seemed checked out. I thought this was the most fun his Hank Pym has been. He had some really kind of funny, cool scenes where he's trying to figure out how to drive that thing. When he, you know, when he calls out to some of his aunts, some of the lines that he's given. I actually thought that was some of the most fun I've had with Hank Pym. I liked uh, what Michelle Pfeiffer brought to it too. I would, it did feel in a large degree, like hope kind of took a real backseat. Um, yeah for a lot of it uh, for being in the title of the movie yeah you know she has still has some fun lines and stuff but your analogy to her being c-3po is is probably apt for where she is in a lot of it and i know they wanted to focus on um you know scott and cassie and kind of building them up 
they never really say what um, Cassie's superhero name is going to be. I was trying to figure out what like flying arachnid or oh, I, arachnid. I think, the, I think she's credited for the movie. Yeah, they it might be credited, but it doesn't come up. I also enjoyed William Jackson Harper, who played Cheaty on The Good Place. He has yes a really fun and funny cameo. I will be honest, if Bill Murray wasn't the one in that role, that I don't know that we'd even care. It's kind of a small. It felt like maybe an afterthought a little bit. That's a minor quibble, but it just it feels like the structure of this movie is you. You introduce people, throw them into the quantum realm, split them up, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then they come to a head and then they have to fight in the third act. Like, and it's just, I I think it is, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that happen for convenience. Like Michael Douglas showing up and being like, and by the way, there was a quantum time loop and it caused the ants to be able to live for hundreds of years and develop their own civilization. And like, I was like, huh? And at the same time, it was the same thing with Kang where Kang seemed to be able to use telekinesis sometimes and not other times. And it wasn't too bad. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was ever in a place where he should obviously be using the power and wasn't, but the it just it was bizarre to me how uh, the the way some things in the background were flowing it's like don't give you too much time to think about what's going on just keep moving through the story and that's kind of how i've felt about ant-man from the first movie of his so (laughs) well maybe that's a good segue to uh we wanted to look at some of the other feature films in the mcu that have uh included paul rudd's ant-man and you can't really start that without going back to the beginning which is ant-man in 2015 and this film felt like it had kind of a uh troubled production all the way through at one point it was going to be edgar wright's film uh and i was very interested in that and he fell away and I wasn't taken with trailers and then we got the movie and I will let you kick it off. But what did you think of the original Ant-Man? So I'm going to say off the bat for this time, having watched Ant-Man, I'm going to give it a thumb up. And that is because it is very, very hard to take a project made by someone who has such a ludicrously strong vision for his movies that he's like constantly editing, editing in his head and, and will shoot like an actor separate from one piece of a background, separate from another piece of a background over months in order to get a shot that they're so confident about in their head to just put that on the lap of someone who hadn't really done much more than yes, man with Jim Carrey and have them pull off as cohesive of a movie as they did. I I think is, is especially that late in the game for Marvel is, is impressive. I think I really like Scott Lang as a character And one of the things that I used to have a huge problem with is not the way the characters are in the movie, but the way that they're written of all of Scott Lang's friends, Michael Pena and um, David Domakian and T.I. and T.I. They T.I. sits around, says damn, and does like nothing. The least believable computer hacker in the history of time. 
Yeah, David Deslamakian has this this over the top cartoonish accent. He's probably as much of a caricature as some of the alien creatures that are in Quantum Mania in the first one. And Michael Pena's character, you know, he's doing what he does with him, but essentially it's a character who's just like rambling and 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 heavy with the accent and whatnot. I don't know. It just it just felt like a little bit a little bit bizarre to me, but but that being said, Edgar Wright is still credited as a writer and story and for story on the movie. And I think you can tell the sequences in the movie where like the storyboarding and some of the work that he had done was still used, particularly the first sequence where Scott uses the suit and ends up going through drains and having to jump out of a vacuum and like all of these kind of things. And I think some of the sequences where the story is being passed along through Michael Pena's words and whatnot. I, I think I, and I could be wrong about any of that, but I just, it has a still grounded in reality charm to it that has since sort of been like, I think Marvel has been crawling their way from Iron Man to infinity war to being able to just translate their comics from panel to screen like we have to keep things grounded somewhat in reality. And then by the time we got to infinity war and eternals and so many other movies, you can just put a, and like, like Adam Warlock is now going to be able to be in Guardians of the galaxy. He's just going to be gold. They're not going to try and do some fancy techie version of it. You know, like it's, and I, I think this is when they were still trying to ride that line. And, and I used to be very critical of, ant-man's powers not making any sense like the the tank should still be the weight of the tank on the keychain and when you blow up uh the thomas the tank engine it should still be the weight of the small toy when it goes against the wall but that's not true i caught exposition this time i didn't catch before about when something changes size it retains the density like Basically, if it starts moving this big, whatever it hits, it's going to hit as if it was that big. And they throw that. And that was really important to carry on all the way to Quantum Mania because that's how he's training his daughter and trying to get her to get things right and whatnot. And that's another thing that's surprising to me is the relationship with his daughter has been such a strong thing throughout the entire series. And... I, I kind of miss the original actress playing his daughter, who's always smiling when he gets away with things and was kind of destined to grow up to be like him. And, you know, I don't know. It, it, I I like the new actress just fine. And they, they played off of each other very well. So it was great. But yeah, the first Ant-Man, simple relationships, good humor, uh, grounded sort of reality, and just a villain that I, I just makes me feel like there's some something wrong in my head for a villain like i i i i, I can't st i don't like him uh, he's he's down there with malekith and with uh uh oh my gosh other forgettable villains that clearly i've forgotten because they're forgettable um which was what made it amazing um i kind of liked his reemergence in um Corey Stoll's reemergency in Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantumania. I did not care for the original Ant-Man. Um, 
for a long time, famously, it was sitting at the bottom of the MCU for me. Um, I think I originally gave it half a star when I watched it. Oh. I would still give it like a th- thumbs down because I don't care for it. I have come up a little bit and I did put it back in front of the Incredible Hulk. Um, but it's it's bottom tier for me. Nothing about it worked. I thought Hope's one note character in that in that first movie, Hank, is like a one note grumpy old man for most of the movie. Darren and Yellow Jacket as a villain don't work for me at all. There are some memorable scenes that have become memes, like when Michael Pena picks him up from prison and is going over like the year in his life. I feel like everybody uses that as like some kind of a meme, and it's mildly amusing. But you're right the the whole group was a little one note, and him you know immediately getting talked into a life of crime didn't didn't work that well. The animus between you know, the stepfather at the beginning didn't really, it reminded me a lot of the way uh, Tim Allen and Judd Reinhold are in the Santa Claus. And it, except for they were trying to be more serious, I thought about it and it just didn't work for me. There are a couple of good sequences. The, the tiny train battle is pretty hilarious. Um, The Thomas, the tank thing is kind of, there are a couple of hilarious things, but mostly I just thought it was like a real missed opportunity, even though I liked Paul Rudd in the, as the character. So you brought up the thing that I think will take us into the next movie, which is Scott being so easily convinced to just break the law. And that was the thing that still, still gets me and surprised me about Ant-Man is his whole thing is I, I have to do this for Cassie. I have to rebuild my life so I can not lose time with my daughter since the first movie. And in the next movie, we're going to talk about his rationale, his rationale for breaking the law and keeping himself in prison potentially forever is, and what else is new? Like he's free. And so we are obviously going to transition. The very next appearance for Scott Lang's Ant-Man was Captain America Civil War. This one took place just a year later in 2016. The third, technically the third standalone Captain America film, although I would like to call it the fifth Avengers film because it is essentially just an Avengers film. There is a lot that they had to do in this film. This is the first film where we're introduced to T'Challa. Uh, the Black Panther. This is the first where we get Tom Holland as Spider-Man. If I could use my buttons correctly, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Ant-Man shows up, fights for Captain America. In Quantumania, we get quite a few references back to uh, that incident and which team he was on and uh, him going back to jail. Civil War, I was so excited for it when it came out. I'm a, I'm basically kind of like a thumbs neutral. Maybe mm. you could talk me into a mild thumbs up. When I remember seeing it the first time and leaving the theater incredibly angry because I thought it was two-thirds of a masterpiece and the last act for me just, just went downhill and it was at a point in time where I began asking the question, how can we invest in the MCU if there's never going to be any stakes? Because you have this entire thing built up as this huge rift between friends and this epic concluding battle. 
and basically Captain America ends up leaving him his shield and then leaves him like a charming voicemail. And you can tell by the end they're, they're friends again. They were ready to kill each other. I personally feel like one of them should have died. I feel like the entire thing was building up that I don't know what civil war any of these people have ever been a part of, but in most civil wars, there are pretty high stakes and pretty high consequences. And in this, there were essentially zero consequences. Yeah. I'll let yeah. you take off. I that's they tried. They they the scene where Rhodey is injured is the end of an airport scene. And I, I think that airport scene really sums up the entire movie. Um, this was originally going to be called Captain America Serpent Society, and I think it was going to delve further into the idea of trying to hunt down and find Bucky. And I think it was probably a story that was I think that is a story from the comics and I don't know what it is. So I'm not going to talk too far about that. But what happened is there was an opportunity to either make Iron Man four or do civil war. And that was the first twist in pre-production on the journey to making this movie. And that being said, the journey of constantly having new things thrown into the pot kind of makes me respect the Russo brothers as geniuses for being able to come up with what they came up with. Um, so as you said, this movie introduces T'Challa and the Black Panther in a very crucial role for the story they were coming up with that's unique to the screen and for the comics. Because you have the idea in the story, The Civil War, that superheroes wear these costumes partially to protect their identities. But at this point in the MCU, you didn't have a single superhero whose identity was private. Okay, you did Ant-Man just before this movie came out. And then putting him at the center of this whole thing, like, is he going to be outed as the Ant-Man or not? Didn't feel like it had the emotional consequences of that. And they had the rights to Black Panther and Wakanda and being able to, you know, do that. And so it felt like in place of the character Spider-Man, they wrote a story where you had Black Panther at the center as the person who represented, you know, not being on either side of the conflict. And at the same time, having the secrets of his culture exposed and his identity revealed in a way that like his suit is made of vibranium. So that would have outed things earlier for Wakanda than they had originally intended. And the risk was really high for his identity. Then they got the rights back for Spider-Man and had to pivot again, partway through to include him in the movie. And the hard truth of it is if you take that airport sequence out of the movie, the only thing that, that changes is that Rhodey's legs are injured. And if uh, the Winter Soldier had done that when he broke out of, you know, the facility where they were holding him, you would have no need for the airport sequence. It would have absolutely zero impact on the movie. And yet you have Scott Lang making the decision to throw his life away after finally making it to freedom at the end of Ant-Man. You have uh, Wanda turning on her Wanda her turning boyfriend. on yeah, on Vision. And, and I get that that's complicated and that's really sensitively written, but that's happening right next to Hawkeye and Black Widow punching each other and then asking themselves, why are we punching each other? And then you're you're so many different things are happening at once it's it's honestly it's amazing that they that they pulled off 
as much emotional weight as they did with everything that goes on in that sequence. And because half of it really would not make a single difference in the overarching story that they're telling. The, the thing is, I agree with you also in the end, the end of the civil war storyline is the death of Steve Rogers. And that is when Tony Stark realizes what the consequences were. But I had issues with Civil War ever since the trailers where Captain America is defending Bucky and says, he's my friend. And Tony says, so was I. And to date, they had never had like a pleasant interaction in the MCU almost ever. And it just felt like the movie was was trying to earn things and to varying degrees of success across the whole thing. And that's why I, I still only give it one thumb up. Like you said, it feels like it's, I'm going to say two thirds of the way towards being some sort of masterpiece. And I just think pieces here and there fall apart. Like you didn't introduce Tony's mother until this movie. And he broke up with Pepper Potts off screen. So even Tony Stark. Which was like not... a weird thing because seemingly a year later when you have the first Spider-Man they're back together yeah and like he's with her when he's still an avenger yeah they, they were never apart all over the place. except for in this weird movie yeah it's it's like for a second they had to make tony a different character and it's weird because the way they made him a different character lines up with a lot of criticisms people had of marvel villains at the time that they weren't very well rounded so it's like you take away tony's love life you take away his backstory with his uh you know, well, they didn't really take away his backstory with his um, company, but all he is is the guy running the Avengers. And that's sort of where he starts. And I think they did a good job from that point of writing him into the movie. I just don't understand why they why they shoved things into that point. Um, it made so much more sense to me to sort of be able to have Tony Stark say, Hey, I have someone at home. I have to think about them versus Captain America. Who's been alone since he's been unfrozen. And the only person he has to carry about is Bucky. It just, there's just so much with these bigger Marvel movies. You can always say they, they took on these massive tasks. Why didn't they do this and this and this perfectly? And it kind of sounds like, you know, just being, I'm sorry, like a butthurt fanboy trying to nitpick some things, but but I think in this movie, there are some significant issues with choices made for the story. And so I'm just going with the one thumb up. I asked, there's another thing that's bothered me. And, you know, they work really hard to make Tony Stark and his viewpoint on the Accords a villain. But I don't think he's the villain for his right. viewpoint. I actually think Steve is the villain for his viewpoint. Because honestly, there had been a lot of talk, even apart from the films, about the fact that we were kind of starting to see these Avengers films where they're wreaking a lot of havoc and there is a lot of collateral damage and we seem to just be glossing over. I remember a few, you know, during the summer um, entertainment weekly, when it used to be an actual print magazine that had stories instead of whatever 
weird internet hybrid it is now had a summer movie body count and they would do things like yeah. from avengers or from avengers age of ultron the collateral damage like that you're actually watching thousands of people have their houses destroyed and get killed and you know are the avengers wrong for trying to stop and somebody that's evil no but is it wrong to say that there is collateral damage and maybe they should be held to account and that's i mean that honestly is the entire point of watchmen alan jacobs wrote all the greatest dc superheroes and came to came to believe that if superheroes exist they wouldn't be these noble people that should be allowed to operate autonomously they would be a threat to society and i thought that idea was has some merit and they just try to use it to make Tony seem like a callous villain. And that actually bothers me a lot. And then almost at the end, he sort of seems like he comes to his own conclusion that, Oh, I was wrong about everything. Mm. You weren't, you weren't really wrong about everything. And it's just, you know, you can have this ideological battle and have it work. I think that's what makes the dark Knight work so well. You have, two polar opposite extremes in a vigilante who believes so strongly in the rule of the law, they would break it to enforce it. And an anarchist who believes in nothing and no one, they also had a completely flipped view of humanity Mm. and the nature of humanity. And you can do those ideological battles and make them work. Maybe it works better if you have clearly a villain, but that was probably the hardest thing for me because then you know, after that, you flip back to Iron Man is going to become like the most central heroic sacrificial figure for the Avengers. It just maybe you're right because of the different ideas and maybe different iterations of where they could possibly go. But it just didn't. I I liked the idea. I was excited to see them. There are moments of it that I, I think are fantastic. I just, act just I just wish the fight at the end had still been about it. Yeah. I think I think you're right that Tony has a really strong leg to stand on. I, I think that the government in their world is the same one that wanted to nuclear bomb New York because there was a hole in the sky. So I I don't know I don't know how like I understand both sides of the argument they pitch and they do a good job of of having them put their idea ideals out. But the fight in the end is it has nothing to do with any of that. It has no, to do with I'm going to kill parents. Bucky because he killed my mom. It's like ah, even though oh he well. didn't know what he was doing. Well, right. we'll, mo- we'll move from that to uh, just immediately in the wake of Infinity Wars, which was an epic saga that left all of us emotionally devastated. They rolled out Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania because you know what. Paul Rudd's Ant-Man wasn't cool enough to get involved in the Infinity War. He's just kind of out there doing his own thing in San Francisco. Uh, you know, a lot of people have have commented that it feels like Ant-Man's films, part of the, the struggle that they have is that they're almost non sequiturs in the MCU, you know, where the first one yeah. pops up is kind of like a palate cleanser, where the second one pops up is kind of like, well, we're going to have a tangential connection, but we know you're super bummed out. And we're not ready to give you the conclusion and you need something. So enjoy this second Ant-Man. I have to admit, after not being a fan of the first one, I had criminally low expectations uh, mm-hmm. for the second one. 
I actually thought it was better, but how did you feel about Ant-Man and the Wasp? Well, I'll never forgive them for wasting Walton Goggins. I <laughs> like that they're good at wasting because Bill Murray's MCU time has probably come and gone in, in Yeah, in it, let's see. They I, I he, that that he is such a good character actor, and and there there's so much, but I I have to say something. Ant Man and the Wasp is the same team kind of from Ant Man, but the machine is flowing like water. That you know, like in Civil War, this is a thing too, where their productions are shooting on location, and they're shooting for the VFX team, so they're shooting things for reference lighting so that they can composite like all these super complex. If you, they're like three second clips in Ant-Man and the Wasp where you go from a full size shot of just a camera rig on the side of a car on a, a fake zoom to a completely digitally created shot of the Wasp flying through a window on the same car where you come into a completely different rigged shot on the car shot at another time where hope becomes full size again and does stunt choreography with a couple of people before moving away to like, just to make three seconds of movie probably took a month and to have the foresight to be able to pull it off and make this thing look like it was shot as candidly as it was. This feels like a movie where someone's just like running and gunning and like, like holding a camera and just like walking around shooting. And I, the honestly they they pulled off some of the some incredible special effects and some incredible things now the problem is when you get 99.9% of the way towards something being realistic that that uncanny valley thing happens and the point is 1% sticks out like crazy like how um scott lang no matter what size he is his voice sounds the same like eh. and a uh, ghost how how hard those VFX people worked to make ghosts phasing like like visuals look the way that they do, only for no one to ever consider that she's not on the bottom floor of a building and should be falling through the floor. Like it, there's so many things that just stick out to me, and and her performance I struggled with just her having to deliver lines like there's so much pain and her having to sell it when she's also having to sell digital effects that won't be put in till post and just so much is asked of her. I don't think she really like lands it. And I'm curious to see if she comes back for the Thunderbolts or something along those lines. And I would like to see her have another shot at the character or, you know, something like that. I, I think that for a couple of people in the MCU, but yeah, for everything that's added to this movie, you you still have the things that work in Ant-Man and then you have everything be a little more cohesive and advanced. Hope is a little more three-dimensional. Uh, Hank is a little more three-dimensional. Paul Rudd having to play Michelle Pfeiffer's character being him was like, I, I love that. And, that was a hilarious scene. Yeah, and um, there, there was just... It's still trying to use exposition to get away with some of the side that they're throwing out. And that's always going to be a part, I think of the Ant-Man movies, but uh, honestly it has, it has a very appealing structure to it too. That whole like constant go, like from start to finish, the movie is all one continued sequence where there's gaps. It's not like it all takes place in like one shot or anything, but it's, 
it's one day that they're having to get all of this done and he has to get back, you know, it, it yeah. What is the, the I, I keep Randall park. Yes. The banter between him and Scott at the end where Scott said, he's, he's like, I'll see you around. And he's like, where I thought you were going to invite me somewhere. And he's like, do you want to get dinner? Like I, <laughs> well, and then at the beginning of quantum mania, they're having coffee together. Like, Yeah. 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 <laughs> And that was one contribution. I there this one has like one of it has nothing to do with anything, the post credit sequence, but it's still fantastic. Mm-hmm. With the ant just sitting there and drumming, drumming. drumming yeah, the, giant, the giant ant. There you know, it it was a good time. Mm-hmm. I think it falls in an unfortunate spot in the MCU in terms of you know everybody's like emotionally spent after infinity war and i feel like infinity war was the beginning of may and this came out like in july yeah yeah so it was it's not like they gave you zero time a ton of time to make an adjustment then you're kind of all all just into it and then didn't captain marvel come out in the fall after that because captain marvel we needed for endgame I think Captain Marvel was then either. Oh, it might have been February, the following February. No, because Black. Well, yeah. Okay. Black yeah. Panther came out in February before Infinity War. And then Ant Man yep. and the Wasp came out. Captain Marvel came out, I think, in the fall. And then. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. it was. It had more of a direct link to uh, setting up setting up Endgame. It was a weird oh, stretch it's... of. I, I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp for what it is. It's a mild thumbs up. I think having zero expectations helped. I actually think it's one of the more fun ones on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking it was it was an improvement at the time. But when we were going through and rewatching them, uh, not watching like the whole breadth of the MCU, but just I watched the two Ant-Man films to get ready for the next Ant-Man film. It's got kind of a fun standalone vibe. Yes. That was the big thing for me is watching Ant-Man's story separate from these other bigger, more iconic, like stuck to these other characters stories. So I avoided watching Endgame, you know, it was a good idea to like not do that for this because I feel like that would. Uh, I once I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp and got to that post credit scene. Mm hmm. I was immediately on to Endgame and then uh-huh. drained of all my ocular fluid. And then I spent yeah. a couple of days wandering around feeling sad. <laughs> and then we went to go see him on the most quantum mania. Pick you up a little bit. I got to say quantum mania's beginning of I saved the world and the end of, wait a minute, did I just end the world? Ah, I don't think about it. Though whoever wrote that into the script deserves a gold star or something. Someone's got to give them kudos. Well, we went a little bit longer than normal, and that's because we had a lot to say about the Ant-Man. So uh, you can check out Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in theaters now if you don't uh, have copies of the past Ant-Man films or Captain America Civil War. They are streaming right now on Disney+, Plus, as is almost the entirety of the Marvel Cinematic Universe archive i don't believe they have all the spider-man films because right. those bounce around but uh you can go dive in and uh, get your fill of scott rub rudd or you can go uh to hbo max and watch the later seasons of friends if you want a yeah. different kind of scott rudd 
Uh, Paul Rudd, Scott Rudd. You know, I kind of like. He's been he's been it so long. Paul Rudd. Mm. Well, that'll do it for this week. Next week on the horizon, there's a bear, there's a kilo of cocaine, and there is a lot of violence in our future. Uh, Hopefully, if you're keeping track of the upcoming releases, you'll be able to determine what movie we are talking about. But until then, enjoy your time at the movies.